This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Gregory Mischel, Division Head of Cardiology, Co-Director of the Cardiovascular Institute and Vice President of Cardiology Operations at North Shore University Health System. Dr. Mischel, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Laura, it's a pleasure to be here and thank you to Becker's for inviting me. Well, absolutely. And I'm excited for our discussion. I know we have a lot to talk about, but before we dive in, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, Canadian trained, came to the States in 1992 and was in private practice with what was at the time a relatively small eight-person group in Springfield, Illinois called Prairie Cardiovascular Consultants. And then over the course of my 27-year career there as an interventional cardiologist, our practice grew to be almost 120 providers uh, from across the state. And at the time, I was the director of the executive director of the Heart Institute, which was based out of uh, Springfield and was our hub, if you want to call it that, and uh, then increasingly took on more administrative responsibilities, uh, got an MBA at uh, Kelly School of Business, uh, shout out to Indiana U, uh, in 2017, and, and then began to rethink my career as both an interventional cardiologist and administrator, and ultimately moved to Chicago uh, to the North Shore University Health System, which is on the uh, in the northern suburbs and the north side of the city. Got it. And, you know, what was it like going from being a, you know, private practice position, growing your practice, you know, to um, a huge degree and then moving into the administrative roles and finally, you know, coming to North Shore University Health System? Um, What has that journey been like for you? Well, um, I would say that if it had been a very conscious decision, it or it might have been a harder decision in that, in a way, the decision was made for me because, uh, like a lot of interventional uh, cardiologists, I uh, had an increasing number of orthopedic issues that ultimately prevented me from working in uh, in the cath lab. And so I was forced to uh, either reimagine or uh, rethink myself and my career um, and, and transition into administration. So I, I really never reflected on consciously, like, where am I going to go? It was like, more like, immediately, what am I going to do after I've had my third spine operation? Uh, I would say the hardest thing was leaving where I'd been in practice for 27 years, my friends, uh, my patients, my security, uh, and moving to a big city from a small city uh, to a a system which at the time was four hospitals now, uh, nine hospitals and uh, having to start from scratch. That was a, uh, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say, tell you the truth, which was a pretty nerve wracking journey. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it sounds like even though it was nerve wracking journey, journey, you came out the other side of it, you know, really being able to build a successful career, um, you know, and do some really interesting things uh, at the both private practice and health system level. Uh, that's true. I would say I've had a renaissance career. Uh, I've had an <laughs> opportunity to look at both sides now. Absolutely. Well, in thinking about where you're at today, what are some of the biggest issues that you're following in healthcare right now? Well, uh, a lot of uh, healthcare right now is what's right in front of your nose or the latest email that dropped, uh, you know, since COVID. And I'd have to say uh, the most immediate, uh, both short-term and intermediate term issues uh, that I think about 
really revolve around uh, personnel and, and human beings, the issues related to recruitment, retention, burnout, and, and our support staffing. Got it. Absolutely. So when you think about, especially looking at some of the support staffing and burnout rate, I know that's a challenge across the healthcare system. Is there anything that you have done that's been effective or you're planning on launching over the next year that, you know, really addresses some of those problems in terms of recruiting and retaining great staff? Well, I I, I would say a couple things. One is that uh, since I got to North Shore, uh, I I'm in constant recruitment mode, regardless of where we are in terms of our current uh, physician staffing levels. Uh, So I would say the first piece of advice is never stop recruiting, even if you're fully staffed. And, And I would say that that lesson learned on the physician level also applies to support staff which is, uh, I think, uh, for administrators, it it's always sort of relates to just-in-time delivery. How can we maximally and efficiently utilize our current staff or even think about cutting costs, whereas from a human perspective, and particularly from cardiology, uh, you, you need a certain amount of redundancy in the system to remain successful, realizing that there will always be contingencies that lead to resignations uh, or uh, retirements. And on the physician side, as I say, I'm in constant recruitment mode. And if I find somebody who has an outstanding CV, CV or if somebody sends me an outstanding CV, I spend a lot of time trying to think about how do I take this outstanding person and who is culturally a a great fit or fits a strategic need, and how do I fit them into our current system or convince people that we we should get this person uh, regardless of the fact that we might not actually need them now. And I've learned along the way that when you do that, oftentimes there are things that happen that are unexpected and you're so happy that you uh, had this extra person or that you'd been working on this project. Uh, Similarly, in a similar vein, uh, I will stay in contact with people who've sent me CV over time to see how they're doing uh, because I never know when there might be a need, even though there wasn't a need uh, immediately or we couldn't make it work, that I uh, have a future need. Uh, and and reach back out to them. The the second thing I think uh, that we've learned is, uh, particularly in healthcare, we tend to be in reactionary mode. Uh, And I think it takes some convincing to uh, get ourselves out of this reactionary mode, uh, particularly post-COVID, and start to think about being more proactive about uh, retention, recruitment, engagement. Um, In terms of specific strategies, I think that obviously you want to be competitive in the marketplace uh, in terms of salaries, uh, being mindful of the fact that you still have to leave some room for an operating margin, but also begin to think about what what are, beyond compensation, what what are the... uh, what are the opportunities or what are the features about uh, employment that people look for day-to-day uh, that doesn't relate to compensation? What, what is their potential for uh, career development? Uh, 
what are some of the lifestyle uh, opportunities that we can undertake that won't disrupt our own operations, but might be outside of the usual realm of thought, like a nine-to-five job or remote uh, remote work. Um, but beyond those specifics, again, I think that uh, it's really a matter of looking at things afresh and, and reimagining what employment looks like, uh, particularly to a younger generation of employees. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it is something that is really interesting to hear you say, because I think it's something that we here at Becker's are also really thinking about in terms of looking at career development and what exactly, you know, is going to be attractive to our team as we constantly recruit to build and grow and develop. So I I really appreciate you going through all of that. And now thinking about cardiology and heart surgery in particular, how do you see that field changing right now? Well, one of my mantras, having uh, been in practice now for over 30 years, uh, obviously as an interventional cardiologist, is coming to appreciate the talents of cardiac surgeons. And although I spent uh, a large portion of my practice career uh, in their mind trying to put them out of business, wearing my other hat, and frankly even a clinical hat, uh, one of the realizations is you cannot have a great cardiology or cardiovascular program without great surgeons, both vascular and cardiovascular. And uh, one of the things that concerns me, uh, both in terms of my immediate job responsibilities, but frankly for the population as a whole, is that I see that surgery is probably becoming a less popular career choice for many uh, medical graduates because they see declining opportunities in terms of doing surgery. Uh, And this makes it difficult to recruit and retain uh, good slash great surgeons uh, and have redundancy in your surgical services. And then you think about it in terms of the larger population context, what what would it look like if at some point in time we just don't have a sufficient number of surgeons to do surgery? Uh, Now, that's not an immediate priority, but I think it's a real possibility five to 10 years from now. And even those surgeons who are in training programs, how do they get sufficient surgical experience uh, in in an era where there's declining numbers of surgeries being performed? Or how do they reinvent themselves to that changing landscape? That really makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's interesting... um, issue that, you know, comes up in a few of these different conversations. And when looking at, you know, developing um, the workforce of the future, and especially for patients that have cardiology needs, do you see any movement in the right direction? Or how do you see the healthcare system adapting and improving to, to really meet the needs of patients going forward, understanding that likely there will be a shortage to some degree of um cardiologists and heart surgeons in the future? Well, there's certainly going to be a shortage of uh, cardiologists, uh, uh, and, and that, that's the field I'm obviously most familiar with. And as I say, you know, potentially we could face a shortage of surgeons. Uh, I would say a couple things. Uh, in terms of uh, r- right now, uh, I think it's important to, uh, to expand on what a heart team looks like. It's a term that's bandied about, and to a lesser or greater degree, we've had some success in creating a heart team 
It doesn't work every day all the time, uh, but it's certainly something that we strive for. So I think keeping surgeons engaged in developing a cardiovascular program, and certainly in many institutions, uh, surgeons uh, take the lead in in those sorts of situations. And obviously, I think of places like the Cleveland Cl- Clinic or large institutions in Texas. But beyond uh, that, thinking outside of physicians, uh, also realizing the importance of advanced practice providers in providing many of the services that uh, in the past only cardiologists would have provided, and making sure that those advanced practice providers are practicing at the top of license. And there's really two models of advanced practice uh, provision. Uh, One is a a serial model and one is a parallel model. Uh, The serial model, which is really to the benefit of the cardiologist, you know, involves uh, a lot of them uh, in some instances being, uh, you know, glorified scribes or, you know, the cardiologist just sticking their head into the room after every APP visit. And it certainly works. I think uh, it enhances the cardiology workflow and, and it eases the burden on the cardiologist. But I'm always concerned in situations like that, it doesn't lead to full engagement um, or a a long-term career path for the advanced practice provider. And so I'm encouraging uh, our uh, physicians to really start, and our advanced practice providers, to uh, think more about what a parallel practice looks like, where, uh, again, the advanced practice provider is obviously under the supervision and coordination of the physician, but has a greater degree of independence, practices to the maximum of their license, and takes a greater degree of responsibility for the care. That also requires uh, communications with with the patients and and having them understand that uh, they might not be seeing the physician uh, that day, but they're seeing a valued team member who's going to give them the same quality of care, and if an issue arises, certainly a physician will be brought back into the process. So it's really a multifaceted approach. Uh, and, but that team approach even goes beyond the advanced practice provider, and we've learned in this COVID, uh, post-COVID era, or hopefully post-COVID era, the importance of our uh, medical assistants, our, our PSAs, um, and all of those other people, and even our call center, all of those people who maybe in the past we really didn't give enough thought to, but how important their contribution is in the continuum of care and how they touch patients. And uh, it's unfortunate that it's taken an epidemic to maybe realize this, but it really highlights the importance of all those team members in creating a successful practice and a a good uh, patient and family experience. Well, that's great to hear about. And now, you know, before we wrap up our conversation, I have one more question for you. What are you most excited about for the future? Uh, boy, I have a number of thoughts uh, on that. You know, I think I would first start with um, just the amazing number of new drugs that are either on the marketplace or are coming to market that are going to uh, treat uh, diseases that we haven't really thought about good medical therapy in the past or uh, are reimagining how we deliver care. So I'm thinking about you know two new classes of diabetic drugs that we've learned 
are going to be important in our armamentarium for treating heart failure and coronary artery disease. Who would have thought that was uh, going to be possible? Uh, new lipid-lowering drugs that can be given not every day, not every two weeks, but you know potentially just twice a year, as well as treatments for drugs uh, for conditions that we in the past just had uh, palliative therapies for, thinking now of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and uh, cardiac amyloid. Uh, so particularly, this has been particularly enlightening uh, for me as I've moved from devices uh, to being a clinical cardiologist and just seeing the huge repertoire of new medical therapies and approaches to disease states uh, for which in the past we might have only considered interventional approaches or for which we really never had uh, good therapy. I think a, a second thing that excites me is the development of these new collaborative fields in our own institution, uh, the creation of uh, cardio-obstetrics, uh, and in particular, not just looking at providing cardiology services to women who are uh, giving birth, but looking at what are the consequences of the medical conditions that they have and, the tr and extending treatment now over the course of a lifetime, uh, i.e., gestational diabetes or hypertension, the future development of uh, other disease states. Beyond cardioobstetrics, the potential for cardiogenetics. Uh, we have a very strong genetics program here. And it really, it's, it's been, again, uh, revelatory to me how often ordering genetics can change the, uh, both the diagnosis and the trajectory of potentially treatment of patients, but also their families. And then the intersection now of cardiology with our uh, endocrine colleagues and a creation of a field cardiometabolic division where we both take responsibility for treating, in particular, the growing uh, population with diabetes. I guess the final thing I would uh, hearken to would be uh, the maybe as yet unrealized potential of uh, artificial intelligence and natural language processing. Uh, you know, I view these uh, new technologies uh, as akin to robotics and manufacturing as a mechanism to uh, possibly increase the productivity of physicians uh, and the engagement, but by maybe taking the drudgery out of uh, repetitive tasks and allowing physicians to do what they enjoy most, which is uh, the cognitive side or the doing side of their practice. That's so helpful to know. Dr. Mishko, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really wonderful conversation, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and certainly would look forward to future interactions.